Hey, it's Rochelle, and you're listening to Clumsy Theosis, a production of Catholic Answers. Welcome to the place to transform the world by transforming yourself. Christ is risen, to which the proper response is, indeed he is risen. That's what we say in the Byzantine tradition after Easter. We say Christ is risen. Well, the priest says Christ is risen. We respond, indeed he is risen. And that's also how we greet each other. Easter is always the crowning glory of the liturgical year. And I don't know about you, but for me, in light of Jesus's resurrection, life just seems to be put in much more clear perspective for me. Like everything just kind of makes more sense and the petty things don't seem to matter as much because there's something so much bigger, so much glorious than ourselves and our earthly cares. And the light of the resurrection really reminds me of that. Today, we're going to round out our mini series, Connecting Signs with Sacraments in John's Gospel. And we're gonna do this by talking about people rising from the dead. And I think that's pretty appropriate considering Christ is risen. Indeed, he's risen, right? You got it? Okay. Anyways, we're going to move on. Okay, so Jesus's resurrection is the seventh sign of John's gospel. But before we get there, there's someone else who is raised from the dead in chapter 11. Do I have any guesses? It's Lazarus, the brother of Martha and Mary. Lazarus has been dead in a tomb for four days. And that's an important detail because when Jesus arrives, Lazarus's sisters are pretty upset with him. Do you remember that? And it's because Jesus arrived late. So the Jewish tradition believed that the soul kind of hung around the body for about three days after death. And if the deceased had any hope, of coming back to life, it would have been within that three-day time period. So when Jesus shows up on the fourth day, he is too late, according to Mary, who tells him, if you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. But Jesus wasn't late. Recall what happened when Jesus got the news of Lazarus's sickness. Scripture tells us this. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. So Jesus loved them so much that he then decided to wait to go to them. Right, that doesn't make any kind of sense unless Jesus purposefully postponed going to them for two days so that he would strategically arrive on the fourth day. And we do receive confirmation that this was Jesus's intention because while Jesus and the 12 are on their way to Lazarus, Jesus tells them, Lazarus has fallen asleep and I'm going to wake him. And to put that plainly, Jesus has to kind of do that for them. Lazarus is dead and I'm going to bring him back to life, is what Jesus has to tell them. So we only have two sacraments remaining that we have to match up with the signs in John's gospel, holy orders and confirmation. And between those two, the raising of Lazarus from the dead goes with confirmation. And that's for two main reasons. The first is that confirmation or chrismation in the East comes after what sacrament traditionally. Traditionally, when someone had their sacraments of initiation, and this is actually still true in many places of the world today, um, it would go baptism, then confirmation, and then you'd have, um, you'd receive the Holy Eucharist. So, 
What sign came right before Lazarus raising from the dead? That would have been the healing of the man born blind, which represented what? Baptism. So that man was brought from darkness into light and Lazarus was brought from death into life. So it's a stronger emphasis on this bringing from light to darkness. You get going from death to life and confirmation is a strengthening of the baptism. And what is it strengthening you for? One of the big things that confirmation gives us is this extra grace to witness the faith, especially when we're faced with oppositions to the faith or if we're being persecuted because of the faith. So confirmation strengthens our baptism. And in my imagination, I picture the chrism just wrapping us in this supernatural suit of golden armor, you know, because the chrism is that golden color. So we're now prepared for anything after that. We're suited to be witnesses of the faith. So Lazarus was the strongest kind of witness to Jesus's mission. You know, the kind where a dead person is raised to life. I don't think you can get anything stronger than that. So in raising Lazarus from the dead, Jesus was fulfilling a prophecy made about like 500 years earlier, which is found in Ezekiel 37, which said, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves. And you know who didn't like this? The chief priests, the Pharisees, they did not like this at all. And they had heard about what had been going on and how Lazarus's witness was making people believe in Jesus. And so a little while later, we read that the Pharisees were planning to put Lazarus to death for that very reason, because it says that the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. All right, so our final sign is in chapters 19 and 20 with the death and resurrection of Jesus, the seventh sign of John's gospel. Now, this sign does have elements of every sacrament, but for this purpose today and for our restricted time period, um, we're just going to look at how this portrays the sacrament of holy orders. So let's start with Jesus and his garments, those articles that covered his body before and after death. Before Jesus's death, he was wearing a tunic, and we know that his tunic wasn't torn because we know that the soldiers cast lots for it. And this was to fulfill a prophecy from the book of Leviticus. But a lesser known detail that John mentions here is that Jesus's tunic was a long seamless tunic that was sewn from top to bottom. Okay, big deal. Well, that's just it. It is a big deal. We know from the most prominent Jewish, Jewish historian of that time, Josephus, that it was customary for the high priest to wear a seamless tunic and that it was not a common article of clothing among the people. So Jesus is in priestly garb as he approaches the cross. He's approaching the cross as both sacrifice and as priest. Jesus's body is then wrapped in linen after his death and according to Leviticus chapter 16, there's a lot of detail about how linen is the cloth that the priest's garments, his holy garments, are to be made of. All of his garments that the priest is going to wear in Leviticus, they're given strict instructions that they're all going to be linen. Now, before Jesus's body is wrapped in this linen cloth, Nicodemus anoints Jesus's body with a fine oil and 
fine spices and it's an abundance of fine spices and oils and this is a priestly act because we read in Exodus 30 when Aaron and his sons were preparing for their ordination to the priesthood they were anointed with liquid myrrh and other spices. Now at this point you might be thinking those are some cool facts Rochelle but they're only pointing to Jesus's connection with the office of priest. What about the sacrament of holy orders? Well it's important to identify Jesus as the high priest before we talk about the sacrament of holy orders and we'll get to that in a minute. So firstly we're going to reveal the sacrament of holy orders. Now after Jesus's resurrection when he appears to the disciples who are hiding out in that room because, you know, everything just got like super crazy. What happens? What happens between Jesus and the disciples? This is the, this is the big moment. John tells us that Jesus said to them, peace be with you as the father has sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So as the Father sent me, so I send you. That is the nature of holy orders, to be sent out. Recall the Great Commission, you know, where Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Right, so the disciples are being sent out with the power of the Holy Spirit to do this and to do what else? What does John recount here? Jesus gave them the power to forgive sins. Now, the rituals and all of the decision-making about forgiveness of sins in the Old Testament were the duties of whom? The priests. Always. From the very beginning, it was the priest. If you needed forgiveness of sins, you went to a priest and he instructed you, on what to do. And in Leviticus, nine times you're going to find the phrasing that the priest will make atonement for your sins. Anything having to do with sins, the priest was the one you went to and he would help you to do what you needed to do so that your sins would be forgiven. Now, this is why it's important that we establish Jesus as high priest, because we just saw Jesus, the high priest, was passing on his power to the disciples, his successors. The passing, of, the passing on of the power and authority of this office was an age-old, God-instructed tradition of the Jewish people. So in this Jewish context, it's obvious that Jesus is passing on his priesthood to his disciples, who would then also do the same thing, passing on their priesthood, meaning that the priesthood did not end with the disciples. Remember that John is the last of the disciples. And he wrote this gospel at the end of his life. So he's the last remaining of the disciples. So also remember that he said that he's writing his gospel for future generations. Now, why would he write about the passing on of the authority and the power from Jesus, the high priest, to his successors, the disciples, to perform the sacraments if it was all just going to die out with him, with John, the last disciple? He wouldn't have done that. He is affirming the living authority of the new priesthood instituted by Jesus. Isn't that crazy? I absolutely love that. Okay, so before we wrap up, it's that time for you to pull out your phones and to text someone that you know who would enjoy this episode. If you liked it, you are going to know someone else who liked it because great minds think alike. Now, you can do that while I wish everyone out there a blessed Divine Mercy Sunday. And if you want to brush up on your understanding of mercy in Catholicism, 
I have an episode titled Mercy in the Mass that I recommend. Yes, it talks about mercy in the Mass, but it talks about the tradition of mercy and how it goes back to our Jewish roots and how that impacts our Catholic faith today. So are you done texting your friends yet? Okay, if you're not, you have a few more minutes here. So for all of my Byzantine Catholics out there, I am going to wish you a blessed Thomas Sunday. That is what we are going to celebrate this Sunday. If you like this episode or any of the other Clumsy Theosis episodes that you've heard before and you have not subscribed, what are you waiting for? Now's the time to do it. You can subscribe to the Clumsy Theosis podcast anywhere good podcasts are found. You can also follow me on the Clumsy Theosis Instagram to keep tags on what's going on and just to stay in touch. I really, truly, honestly love to hear from you. So don't be shy. You can message me, comment, questions, suggestions, topic ideas, anything, everything. And yeah, until next week, everybody. Christ is risen. Indeed, he is risen. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in this week to Clumsy Theosis. Each week, we explore a topic within the Catholic faith to aid listeners like yourself, as well as yours truly, in the advancement and deepening of the spiritual life and the personal ownership of our relationship with the big guy upstairs and his church. As cliche as it sounds, the world needs you. Become who you were created to be with Clumsy Theosis the place to transform the world by transforming yourself.